Welcome to Real Money Talks. Real strategies from the money makers and the world changers that you can use to make millions, keep those millions, multiply your wealth, and build your team. Here's your host, author of five New York Times bestsellers, money expert on Dr. Phil, CNN, CNBC, The Street TV, Fox News, and The View, Laurel Langmire. Hey, this is Laurel. Welcome back to Laurel's Real Money Talks, a podcast that teaches you how to make money, keep money, and invest it, and why a team is critical. Coming from Integrated Wealth Systems, we are here today, and we're going to talk about insurance. Now, a lot of people have no idea what really life insurance. There's either life insurance and there's death insurance. We're going to talk about life insurance today. So I have Jason Henderson with me, who's an insurance expert, and we're going to talk about why you need it. And I want to put an extra big exclamation point on why Well, I think why all the time. I think you need a trust to avoid probate. You need a durable power of attorney, given what's going on with COVID. And life insurance, better than any other thing, is going to, I'd say, recession-proof and, God forbid, this economy-proof your portfolio. And a lot of you, you're too heavy in one asset class. So, Jason, welcome to Laurel's Real Money Talks. Hey, it's my pleasure to be with you. So talk a little bit about what you've done in insurance, how you've done it, how long. Give us a little history of you. Okay. So I've been doing this type of insurance for about 16 years, but uh, previous to that, I was a scientist. And oh, wait, the, I didn't even know that. Yeah. In the academic, I have a PhD in chemistry, but in the academic world, when you do things, you better know what you're doing, <laughs> especially if you go to publish something because you put it out there in a journal and it's yeah. going to be available for the rest of time. But the whole world and all the other scientists read it, and you can look like a real idiot if you don't know what you're talking about. So uh, there was one particular thing I was doing, and I had discovered something. I put it out there to be published, and a very well-known professor from Harvard was one of the ones that reviewed my paper. He came back, and he said, don't publish this. This is a trap. Well, I went back to the drawing board. I knew I was right, and I had to dot my I's, cross my T's, and I resubmitted it to another journal. And I got it published. And since then, I've been proven to be right. Well, you just have to know what's going on in the science and academic world. And so as I started to come into insurance, because I dig solving problems, and everybody's got an individual problem. And so in insurance and in money and stuff, I have to do the same thing. I have to dot my I's and cross my T's. And so that's why I've been doing what I've been doing. Yeah. So what got you out of uh, the chemistry science world over to insurance? What was that? pivot? Would you just say, like, one day you're like, I'm just done doing that? No, um, I found out a little bit about the concept that I teach. I started living it. And so I said, you know, the best way to know how to uh, maximize my use of it was to teach it. So I started teaching it. And I've been teaching it about five years part time. And then 2009 hit the company. I was a vice president, the highest paid non owner of the in the company. It went from 44 to 13. And guess what happened? Yeah. And so I just said, you know what? I dig this, what I'm doing with this financial anyway. Let's just do it full time. Then I didn't uproot my family and move them anywhere. I have, I have six kids. And there were, some of them was pretty critical time in their development. It would be good to keep them where they're at. Mm-hmm. Just to make a go of it and been doing it ever since. Awesome. Awesome. So, you know, what's interesting about insurance is most people see it as a cost, a liability, and something like kind of a necessary evil where you and I know it's an asset. So, you know, obviously there's the term insurance and then there's little stuff, but let's talk about the insurance we're talking about, the real life insurance and the real asset that it can be. Okay. 
Well, first I want to sort of say, you know, most people, if they don't understand what life insurance is. You kind of alluded to that in your opening about death insurance versus life insurance. Most insurance products you find out there is you're only going to get a benefit if that happens. Your car insurance, you only get a benefit if you get in a wreck. Yeah. Fire insurance, only get a benefit if you have a fire, right? Death insurance has one benefit, and that's only if you die. Well, there's a completely different contract out there. It's really life insurance, but the, the internal workings of it, you become the first beneficiary of the policy, not just when you die. And so it's, it's, it's an insurance. So when life happens, whether it's disability, long-term care, recessions, inflation, all those kind of things, it's insurance against those that give you options to do what you set out to do in life. And so talk a little bit more about how it becomes an asset, right? Um, let's dig in. Let's, like, let's peel back the onion. Talk about how it's an asset and how it can be a banking asset. Okay. So with this life insurance I'm talking about, it's, as I said earlier, it's different than all the other insurances out there because everything else is a product of the insurance companies, of the insurance industry. This type of insurance, you're actually buying a portion of the insurance company and it can be sold. I could sell it to you. I could sell it to someone down the road. It's an asset. It's an asset that's guaranteed to increase in value every single year. Who guarantees it? The insurance company. And these insurance companies have been around since the 1840s, and they've been profitable every single year. doesn't matter how many people were dying. They were profitable during World War I, World War II, during the flu pandemic of 1918. They were profitable during the Depression. Okay? And so you have in the contract, you have equity in this contract that's called cash value. Well, that cash value can be used for a plethora of different things, such as banking that you mentioned. Uh, but again, you have an asset. You have a portion of the insurance company that's backed up by a death benefit that I could go sell at any time. I could turn it into an income stream. I could sell it into a windfall and, you know, like a one-time payment. So that's, it's an appreciating asset. I love that. With taxes increasing, I'm going to switch gears, going to go back and forth here a little bit. With the taxes increasing, you can put money into this vehicle, correct? And then create tax-free growth. So, you know, given the administration that's going on, talk a little bit about the tax uh, implications that are going to happen with this kind of a policy. Well, you know, I believe that this type of insurance, life insurance, is like a Leatherman or Swiss Army knife of financial products, and probably the best one that's ever been invented. And so when you start to get money inside of it, and it's protected by, you know, long history and track record, if you will, there's almost no difference from administration to administration. They change the rules here, they change the rules there, and it affects a lot of other things, but cash value life insurance is not changed very much. The last major change for cash value life insurance is when they introduced uh, what's called the MEC rule. It's not really important right now, but that was in the late 1980s. There is some discussion about some changes this year, but it's not going to largely change how we go about it and what kind of asset it is. It's still going to be fabulous to have. So talk a little bit about the money as far as the money tax-free and how it can go to heirs tax-free. Talk about the legacy part of that, because uh, a lot of our listeners obviously love the legacy part of what we do. Okay. 
Well, the legacy part is, you know, more along the, the death insurance or the death benefit side, because that death benefit comes income tax free to your beneficiaries. It doesn't matter how much it is. So even high net worth uh, families, they will go out and they'll buy insurance. And then they plan on the death benefit to pay the estate tax. So they don't have to break up the estate when the, the head of household dies. So there's a huge legacy there. It allows you to, and, and by the way, those dollars, those legacy dollars, you're using pennies to buy dollars. There's a huge amount of leverage here. You're using pennies to buy dollars in the future that you can pass on to your heirs, whether it's a company, people you love, or a cause, you know, PETA, anything you that you care about, that can go income tax-free and be a real windfall to them. So then talk a little bit more about how a policy can not only be used for the banking, and I'm going to come back to that because I want you to give some really specific examples of what we mean by banking, but it can also be used for disability and long-term care. So like dig into, again, peel back the onion and explain the, the okay. difference. Uh, long-term care, disability are other products of the insurance industry that have come along, you know, like Johnny come lately stuff. <laughs> this insurance already has those benefits built into it. In fact, uh, most of the companies I work with, you can just check a box and you can get a writer that if you have a terminal illness and you're diagnosed with a terminal illness, you can start to access your death benefit before you die. If you have a chronic illness, you can access your death benefit before you die. It's already built in the contract. Hmm. So it's, it's pretty cool because you can do multiple things with that. If you really look at the math, and I'm a little bit of a math geek, you're actually going to be better off instead of buying an additional long-term care policy, just make a bigger policy that's a whole life policy. You'll get more of your money out of it because what happens if you don't go to long-term care? You have a tragic accident. You have wasted a lot of money there. You've rented a benefit where here it's all going to be good to your benefit and to your beneficiaries. All right. So talk a little bit about how this works. All right, Jason. So we're going to roll up our sleeves and pull back that onion. Describe this banking process because we all love it. I think a lot of people think, oh, I have insurance, so I don't need it. We Everybody needs it and they need it now. So really describe it. So different and awesome. Okay. Well, some of the differences in the design Mm-hmm. And you've got to find someone like us that will actually design a policy in your favor. Mm-hmm. Because if let's just say I'm going to do 10000 a year in premium or 100000 a year. It doesn't really matter. A policy can be designed towards cash value accumulation or towards death benefit. The more it goes towards death benefit, the bigger the commission for the agent. Mm-hmm. The more it goes towards cash value accumulation, what's good for the customer, the smaller the commission for the agent. So you got to find the right guy out there that's willing to write it and take a smaller commission. That's so, rare, though. That's super rare. It, it is. And, and I'm not trying to, to dish on my fellow agents or anything. One, they probably haven't been taught this concept. But number two, you know, sometimes people have got families to feed, you know, and they've got to do what they've got to do. And other times, they just because they don't know about it, so they'll just do it for death benefit because it's all about the death benefit. That's all they know. It's not about death benefit. It's about cash accumulation. So let's talk about that cash accumulation. If you design it right, a major portion of your first year's premium is going to be available to in cash for you to use. 
You can make your withdrawal. You can use it as collateral for a loan. There's all kinds of things. So it's going to be anywhere from, say, 60 to 80, sometimes a little bit more of your first year's premium. So let's use $10,000. You're going to pay a premium of $10,000. You can have access to anywhere from six to eight, maybe a little bit more, $1,000 immediately, as soon as that cash is checked, is cash. So then the next year, when you pay the next year's premium, of that premium, you're going to have access to even more. And then you get into this a few years, what actually happens, imagine this, Laurel, if you had a banking account, okay, a bank, some sort of account, that as soon as you made a deposit, you would have access to more money than you deposited. Wouldn't that be cool? Well, you know what I love about the whole conversation you're having is, and I really want our listeners to hear it, is that you're designing, it's like you're co-creating the policy versus what I think most people's experience with insurance has been, is being pitched something. And to your point, you know, they walk out with an enormous, you know, commission and the person on the other side still doesn't understand their policy, right? Most people have a policy if they do have one, and it's sitting somewhere getting dust, right? They actually don't know. So I just want to really point to the design of it. And yes, I would love that bank account that I would get to deposit and take out more. So explain that further, though, for our listeners. And that's exactly what we're talking about here, is it has that potential. I'll give an example of one of my policies uh, last August when I made the deposit. It's you know a few years old now, but when I made the deposit, I had access to 1.4 times of what I put in. Wow. Okay. Now, is there like a, a limit that you have to do to do that? No, because it's all in the design. See, most people, when they talk about life insurance, they talk in, in terms of death benefit. I don't want to talk in terms of death benefit. I want to talk in terms of cash. And so it's done bass backwards, if you will. Most people say, I want a million dollar policy. How much? I do it backwards. I say, how much do you want to contribute to your wealth account? And then we design it for the maximum amount of cash that we can get from that. And the death benefit is a sideshow. It just comes along for the ride. Because it's all about the cash and using that cash to build wealth in other ways. Let me give you an example. Yeah. I'm sitting in a small office building in my city. Okay. This building is 100% financed using my policies. In other words, I own the mortgage on this place. Upstairs, there's eight offices, and I rent to various people that just want an office. Downstairs, we rent out to a like a check cashing business, and they pay me rent. So every month when the rent comes in, I make a, quote, mortgage payment yep. back to the insurance company, and I get access to 100% of my mortgage payment. Go figure that. If I had a mortgage with some other bank, and let's say it's two thousand a month, yep. How much would I have access to? Uh, none. Could I go get a C lock? Probably, maybe fifty percent of the value of my equity. Yep. But in this case, when I make a two thousand dollar mortgage payment, I have access to all two thousand dollars to go do another property or do another investment, whatever it is, and so I can increase. The velocity of my money going in and going out, it's not accumulating, if you will, in the bricks and mortar. It's accumulating in my favor, and I can accelerate my rates of return. And so what's the mortgage rate, though? Because I know people are going to ask that, right? So you use, especially with mortgage rates. So when you say you pay back into the insurance you know, for the mortgage, talk that through. I'm going to keep peeling the onion. Right. Well, you, 
So you have to be smart. And that's part of the reason we're, you know, it's not just here. I'm going to sell you a policy and see yeah. where, right? Because I become kind of a, a sounding board or a coach and say, well, how do I do this? So one of the things we want to do is we want to avoid being audited, right? We don't want to do anything that gets sideways with the IRS. So when I refinanced this building the last time, I used current market rates. Could I use a little bit more? Yeah, I can pretend that I have poor credit at the time and get a little bit higher rate that I'm paying myself. And if I structure my entities right, which is cool about this group, you can get those kind of entities, I can make that mortgage interest still be tax deductible through a couple of ent uh, entities. Yeah. And so I want to use interest rates that are, that are going out there right now. That's not in my favor, right? I'd like to pay 9%. I wish this building was paying me 9% on the mortgage. <laughs> but the other, the other side of it is yep. in the first five years is where you pay a lot of interest, right? So I don't let my mortgage get much older than five years. I refinance it on paper because there's a higher volume of my mortgage payments that's interest. Yep. No. I don't care because I know where it's going and I have access to it and I'm going shopping for another investment as soon as I can. Yeah. So I know you have um, like a lot of great learning. So we're going to come to that. We'll uh, give our Ask Laurel. I think it's uh, asklaurel.com you forward slash. Is it Jason? I'm not sure if it's Jason or insurance. I think it might be insurance. I think it's insurance. So Ask Laurel. By the way, you go to asklaurel.com, A-S-K-L-O-R-A-L.com. You can ask any question there or make a request. But if you put asklaurel.com forward slash insurance, you will get an appointment with Jason. So he will be sent an email and you can set up any sort of appointment. And um, would you take consults from people in other countries? In fact, as I say that, there's a few folks in other countries that do this kind of insurance I need to introduce you to. But if someone from Canada or Australia, would you take their consult too, since this is a very international podcast? Uh, certainly. Uh, there are some limitations of what I can do. But in the first initial consult, I just wanted to kind of educate people. That's one of the cool things about this, Laurel, is there's no right or wrong or absolute answer in financial and insurance industry. There's the individual answer. Mm -hmm. And I like to discover that. It's not me telling someone who it is. It's me using, a, you know, going through a series of questions and asking them what they want, how they want things to have happen, what they want to have happen if they become disabled, what would they like to have happen if there's another massive bear market or a real estate crash or something like that. Then we arrive at an answer. So at least in initial consultation, we, yeah. can, we can talk about and then I can point them in the right direction. But like you said, there are people in other countries, whether it's Mexico or Canada yep. or Australia or something, we do have the reach to find people who are of a like mind to put them in touch with. Okay. Yep. And uh, again, we've uh, done this work. I've done this work in all continents but Antarctica. So we do have teams and uh, different people. But right now, it's, you know, get the education and make a decision to get some insurance. Now, the type of insurance that is not a needs decision versus a wants decision. Let's talk about that. So, and when you, at the very beginning, you wanted to put a great big exclamation point, you need some insurance. So need who that. needs insurance? And yep. some people say, if you owe someone or you love someone, you need insurance. And we're talking death insurance right there, the death benefit, right? You need that to make sure the people you care about and the people that you owe are made whole in case that you die. Okay, that's the needs part. 
on the other part, how much do you want to be able to deposit every year and have access to more money? Okay. Let's say I started that the policy I was talking to you about was 10,000 a year. When yep. I made a deposit for $10,000, I got access to 22,000 the very next day. Well, do you want to do it on 10,000 or would you like to do that on 100,000? Or would you like to do, you know, wouldn't that be cool? Let's deposit 100,000. I get access to 220. Yeah. Yeah. Now it becomes a want. How much do you want? Well, I want as much as I can get. And that's what I'm about. I'm trying to get as much as I can. I've got as much as the insurance industry will give on me. And so I own policies on my wife. I own policies on my kids. I have 12 policies, though, because I want to stuff cash away from the IRS and creditors and creditors. I mean, you can't go down to the county courthouse. You can't go into any public record and find out how much cash value I have. It's completely private. So I want to stop it there. Yep. Then I can use that cash to leverage it for any investment I want. Do I have to get a loan from the insurance company? No, I can take that policy and I can walk into most any bank in the country, put it on the banker's desk, and they will give me a loan. That is as good a collateral as a bar of gold for them or a bag of cash. Yeah, I love it. So how do people decide what they, well, I mean, we kind of know the need part, but how do people start and decide? Give us a few of the questions. You said they go through a series of questions. Give us some, uh, you you gave a few, give a few more. Like what are the things that people need to be thinking about as they go to askworld.com forward slash insurance and get an appointment to have a private conversation with you? That's almost rhetorical back to you. I good question would be, how much can they afford? You don't want to put people in harm's way, but I also start to ask them questions and help them realize that this is an AND product. I can finance the purchase of a car using my policy. So now my car payment becomes my premium payment, becomes part of my retirement income, becomes part of my line of credit. I just made that same dollar do the work of four. How many of your dollars in your life do you want to redirect and have them make more than one payment or do more than one job? You start to think about it and say, well, instead of trying to cut out this little sliver out of your pie, I want to put most of my pie there because mm-hmm. if I get access to more money and I can have access to it anyway, it starts to become kind of like a, a cash generator. Yeah. You know, a lot of people have been to a dam or been someplace where there's an electric generator. water just goes through there and generates electricity yep the river isn't changed much you still have water on the back end and it does whatever the water does it's the same thing here you put your cash through it it generates more cash for you but then you can use the cash in your everyday life so i help people start to understand them help them empower be empowered to say oh well i don't necessarily need this death insurance or I may not need um, to be putting money away for a new car. I want to put it here. I don't need to hold my um, emergency fund in someone else's banking system. I can hold it in my own. And so now we start looking at all the different things where they're paying. They can pay themselves more first. And they still have the ability to pay everybody else. So... Are there certain companies that obviously that you work with and why? Obviously, we're not going to disclose all of them and they're not going to run there, but 
talk a little bit about the difference of those kind of companies than I think what's out into the, you know, that they get advertisements on the TV. Because this is not the kind of stuff you're probably going to see advertised on the TV, like, you know, your little Geico's and Progressive's and all those little, those ones. <laughs> I'll say that. Okay. Those uh, so I have four criteria. But to start off with, there's two types of insurance companies. There's stock companies and there's mutual companies. Stock companies are owned by stockholders and it's traded on the exchanges, which means the company has loyalty to the stockholders. They're the highest priority. A mutual company is owned by the policy owners. That means if I get a policy, I actually have bought part of the insurance company. Remember I said that earlier, you're actually buying part of the insurance company. So if you take the 2,000 plus insurance companies out there and you say, I want to work only with the mutual company, you're less than 40. And again, I want to emphasize their number one loyalty is to the policyholders. The policyholders that have this type of insurance, not to the term insurance guys or the other types of insurance guys, only those. That's why sometimes it's called participating insurance because you participate in the company profit. Another thing, it has to have a certain type of rider that we can supercharge it so we can get to cash. The third thing is, I want a company that's going to be make it easy for me to get access to my money. They're not going to put up roadblocks. They're not going to send me an agency. Hey, you don't want to do that. We want to keep the money here. We want to do this or that. I don't want that. Yeah. Number four, I'm looking for a company that has paid a dividend for at least 110 years consecutively. Wow. What that tells me is they've been profitable every single year. Two world wars, a depression, sicknesses. 60s, whatever you want to talk about, they've been profitable. And so there's a culture there of helping people through uncertain times. 2020 was uncertain. People went nuts. You know, there's a lot of weird things. And we still have some uncertainty come through. And I think volatility and uncertainty will continue. But being with this type of company, and I work with all of them. You know, if I go through those four criteria, Laurel, there's less than 10 companies that criteria. And I can represent every one of them. And I don't care which one we go with. I have no loyalties to an insurance company. I have it to the customer because they're the number one. We'll go out and find out which company is going to give them the best offer. And in reality, there's there's not really any deals in life insurance. When you talk in the law of large numbers, we're talking tens of millions of lives. They're pretty dang good knowing that how many people are going to die this year and what's going to happen. And so they know how to price things. Yeah. I mean, the only difference from an actuary and a, you know, a mob boss is an actuary tells you how many, a mob boss tells you who's going to die. <laughs> That's good. I like that one. I'm going to borrow that. All right. So those of you that are listening, again, you're on the Rolls Royce Money Talks. Go to asklaurel.com, A-S-K-L-O-R-A-L.com forward slash insurance. That will get you to Jason directly. Uh, take an appointment. Like, figure this out, even if you have to start with term and then grow. Like, what's the minimum? I mean, you keep using 10000 a year as an example. A lot of our clients are probably going to do, you know, they could easily do, I know, they could do 5000 10000 a month uh, into the process properly. What's the minimum that someone could do? Is it 10 Is it 5 8 What's the well, minimum to get started? You know, it, it really depends from company to company, but let me just tell you my experience, Okay. Uh, the smallest I have is $160 a month. The largest wow. I have, someone, someone's putting nearly $36,000 a month in. Yep. Most okay. people I meet are somewhere in between. It doesn't really matter. 
And we could probably go lower than that. The 160 month is a grandpa that does it for his grandma. He had a granddaughter born down in Texas, just, you know, apple of his eye, thinks she's the greatest thing. And that's what he wants to do every month. I'm sure we could tailor to people feel like it's a little less than that. But really, that's the wrong question, Laurel. What's the minimum? Yeah. People should be thinking, what's the maximum I can put into this? Yeah. Because when you well, I know that that's how we think, but that's not how most people are thinking. That's why I asked. Right. That. Well, yeah. yeah, but we're if that's kind of my job is to help them discover that because when they start to get it, they say, How much can we put in this? Man, well, I wish what, I would have done this 10 years ago. Well, and what I love about that question is it also, even though they can borrow it and they can take it back, I think I like that there's an extra step than people who just have it in a savings account and sitting on cash doing nothing. So there's a, a discretionary barrier for people just to use it for a lot, like, you know, just for whatever they want. And I think there's so much of that spending, you know, COVID has created this, I call it COVID coma, right? You've heard me say that over and over and such a lackadaisical thinking where the, People right now need to be extremely strategic about their money and where they're going to put it, given this new administration. Absolutely. So, Jason, thank you. Um, Any last words? What are you going to tell our listeners that will be hearing this from all over the world? The world's your oyster. This makes everything possible. It really does. I mean, I thought before I found out about this that basically the American dream was dead because I felt like I couldn't do better than what my dad did. And to me, that was kind of the American dream. But when I found out about this and what the power it can do for me and for my kids and my grandkids, it's a life. You can do anything you want out there. You just got to, you know, dig in, buckle down. Like you say, think a little bit, be smart, find a good someone that can coach you and help you empower you to make good decisions. And hey, let's have some fun and find out what your answer is. Yeah. Awesome. So thank you, Jason. Uh, Again, we've been talking to Jason Henderson. Those of you who want to talk to him, get an appointment, asklaurel.com forward slash insurance. And we will be back next week as we are always talking about money, making it, keeping it, investing. We'll talk about the next topic next week. Thanks for listening to the Real Money Talks podcast. Your host has been Laurel Langmire, author of five New York Times bestsellers, money expert on Dr. Phil, CNN, CNBC, The Street TV, Fox News, and The View. Want to learn more about off-Wall Street investing, tax strategies, and multi-million dollar business strategies? Visit liveoutloud.com slash podcast for past episodes, show notes, and resources. For some special wealth building gifts only for Laurel's podcast listeners, visit liveoutloud.com slash podcast gifts. Do you have a burning question for Laurel? Visit asklaurel.com to submit your question, and it may just be covered on a podcast episode. So stay tuned and be sure to subscribe to get new episodes every week.